You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, tremendous trove and troop of trivia troubadours. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 52, our one-year anniversary birthday show. Wow. And Amazing. of course, yeah, it's great. I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your Ballyhooed Buddies Broadcasting Beaver Bits and Birthday Bonanza. Yay. Yes, he's a Ballyhoo from last week's mm-hmm. episode. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm still Chris, one year later. <laughs> Without further ado, let's jump into our general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. And I have a random trivial pursuit card here, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers, and let's answer some questions. Here you go. Blue wedge for geography. What Central American nation boasts a barrier reef second in length, only to Australia's Great Barrier Reef? Dana. Is it Belize? It is Mm, Belize. Good job. I know diving in Belize is supposed to be awesome, amazing. Yeah, that's right. Pink Wedge for pop culture. What actor came to regret uttering the immortal line, use the force, Luke? <laughs> of course, Colin. That is Sir Alec Guinness. Correct. Alec Guinness. Legendarily hated almost everything about his oh, experience really? on Star Wars. Yeah, uh, it's really unfortunate. He had little to no respect for his experience on it, which is oh. which is too bad. What did he like about it? He thought the writing was pretty poor. He thought it was kind of just trite. And he really, he didn't like all the attention that he got afterward, because he was like, you know, I'm a classically trained actor, and all these kids want is my autograph for being Obi-Wan oh, Kenobi. <laughs> Think Ian McKellen feels that way about being a Magneto action figure? Absolutely not. No. Or Gandalf. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. He loves it. Yeah, yeah right, loves right, it. right. Yeah, absolutely. He's a classically trained Shakespearean actor. Or so Patrick Stewart. Yeah, right? that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Dame, Dame yeah. Maggie Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Professor, Professor McGonagall. McGonagall. Get off your high horse, <laughs> she guy. She turns into a cat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Turns into a cat. <laughs> Yellow Wedge, what was the first nation to adopt the metric system in 1795? Colin. France? It is France. It's right. from our Belgium, not Belgium. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Green Wedge for science. What's the only land animal to use extremely low infrasonic sounds to communicate across several miles? Infrasonic. Oh, uh, infrasonic. It's... It's not ultrasonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a ground animal. It's like... We talked about this animal in our oh. last episode. It's an elephant? Oh. Elephant. Oh. No. The, the humble elephant. Huh. Infrasonic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not above the level of human hearing, but below the level of oh, human so hearing. Oh, so ultra is above. above. Right, right, like infrared right. is below the red oh. on the spectrum. Yeah. Or supersonic. So, yeah, so yeah. Super, yeah. super low, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then what's supersonic? That's above. in terms of speed, like faster than. Last question, Orange Wedge for sports and leisure. What nickname did Canadian wrestler Bret Hart trademark in 1990? <laughs> Chris Kohler. That would be... The Hitman. Yes, correct. The <laughs> Hitman. Bret Hart. All right, good job, Brains. Today is our one-year anniversary birthday show, and we thought the most appropriate topic for this week should be trivia about trivia. So it's our Trivia-ception show. Very <laughs> meta.
I want to ask you guys, where does the word trivia come from? Do you guys know? <laughs> oh, my my remembrance of this is that it is from the Latin trivia, meaning three roads. And there was when three roads intersect, they put up a big message board and people could post things on the message board so you could read it. And yes, that is, is that it. That yeah. is one of the stories. Yeah, oh, okay. There's a, that's, oh, okay. That's, so what I, that's what I have read where it came from. Yeah. Okay. But it's a story. <laughs> saw you, saw you at the Coliseum. Yeah, <laughs> thought you were cute. The first unmoderated comment board. <laughs> 4chan of, uh. It was IV chan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's wow. really good. So that is a common etymology story. Trivia is a plural form of trivium. Trivia describes the three liberal arts arms, mm. which is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Back in the ancient Greece and ancient Roman mm. times, these were kind of the foundation topics in basic education. Mm -hmm. So somehow, these, I guess, foundation arms became to known as things that aren't really essential to know, but you had to learn it in school. So sure. I like that better than, that, uh, than yeah. the three roads, which is one of those that sounds so good to be true that, yeah. That the use of the word trivia the way we use it really only goes back to about, like, 1900. And that that was taken from trivium, which were the three of the liberal arts, as you described them. And the meaning, I guess, was sort of that those three together, the place where the three roads meet, were sort of the less important and concerned with the things that were not considered as significant at the time. Oh, I see. So kind that, like that sort of seems, yeah, right, exactly. You know, which I think is sort of a slight at grammar, rhetoric, and logic, of course, as opposed, <laughs> those, you know, to arithmetic or you know, geometry or the more hard sciences. So that sort of seems to be the uh, the connection there. Well, this is a good indication, though. Like like a lot of trivia, the origins are disputed. Mm. I think no conversation about trivia would be complete without discussing bad trivia, common misconceptions, or trivia oh, that we used to think was true but has since been shown to be false. Well, we talked about uh, one of my favorite examples of this on our Landmark episode about the Great Wall of China and its visibility or non-visibility oh, yeah. from what is, space. What is the only man-made thing that can be seen from space? Right. Right. And many people will say, oh, Great Wall of China, but right. it's not true. You can't see it from the moon, and at a level where you can see the Great Wall of China, you can see other man-made objects as well. Mm -hmm. So so that kind of thing. So let's start off with one. Karen, I know you love dogs. So, I do. True or false? St. Bernard's are actually used as rescue dogs in the Alps. Um, it's believed to be True. It well, is it, true. It, it, yeah. Okay, good. I but was, oh. do they actually wear the little barrels of brandy around <laughs> their necks? I believe no. it's, I wish they did. I, well, I thought it was another type of liquor or something around their neck. They don't. They do not, in fact, carry little barrels of brandy around their oh, necks. So and it is so cute. Um, and this is one of those things where we can actually trace this. There's a, there's a painting called Alpine Mastiff Reanimating a Distressed Traveler <laughs> that was painted in the 1800s and the artist just chose to put in uh, mm -hmm. a little barrel of brandy around the St. Bernard's neck. As artist they were slash yes. inventor. Artist, yeah. yes. They were in fact, historically used as rescue dogs in the uh, Great St. Bernard Pass. Connects Switzerland and Italy, and there are some monks who live up there. And uh, they've estimated they've rescued over 25,000 people wow. uh, since 1800s. True or false? Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address on the back of an envelope while riding to Gettysburg on a train. Chris. False. That is, in fact, false. The, the speech is 
it's too good. You yeah. can't just knock that out on the back of the envelope on a train. That was just too carefully considered it. and yeah, it is incredibly, a, it is very wonderfully brief and concise. But no, yeah, romantic story. But no, in fact, it took he he was writing it for many days prior, and he even gave an advanced copy to the Associated Press. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so no. What's the name of the monster featured in Mary Shelley's famous 1818 novel, Karen? It's just called The Monster. Incorrect. Oh. It was a little bit of a misdirection. I think you guys sense it is not, in fact, Frankenstein. Well, yeah. The doctor. Yeah. doctor. The monster does have a name in the book. They don't use the name in the movie, but in the book, the monster is named Adam, like the oh, first yeah. man. I did not. Wow! I did not know that. Yeah. Yep, Adam Frank, little little Adam Frankenstein. I would have guessed what Karen guessed. Yeah, me too. Actually, the monster. <laughs> the monster. Adam. Speaking of uh, famous characters and stories, according to Ian Fleming's original stories and novels, what type of alcohol does James Bond most frequently drink? What type of alcohol or mm-hmm. what drink? Either one. I'll accept either one. Oh, really? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Chris. Four loco. <laughs> that would be awesome. Bailey's Irish cream. So it's not double O four loco. So again, yes, uh, it's not a martini. It is not a vodka martini. Okay, it is. Well, he's a spy. Shouldn't he not drink? <laughs> Ooh. On the job, Whiskey. it's not a trick question. No, he was quite a drinker, and that part of it really huh. holds true. In the movies, he does. He is really associated with the the vodka martini, specifically shaken, not stirred, all of that. Uh, in the books, in the Ian Fleming writings, he drank bourbon more than anything else. Oh. Yes, yeah, someone actually did a tally of this a few years ago. They went of through uh, out of all of the drinks he ordered, he ordered thirty seven straight bourbons. 17 bourbon mixed with water or soda, uh, 19 vodka martinis, and 16 gin martinis. Wow. So, yes, all the, from the books. All from the books. Wow. Yeah, just so, the books. An American alcohol. I suppose. Yes, yeah. bourbon. That's right. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Speaking of countries of origin, where was the game we know as Sudoku invented? Oh, that's a trick question because I want to say yeah. Japan. Yeah, I mean, I was, you kind of know by the whole premise of this entire segment yeah. that they're all that a little that bit it's wrong. Questions. Yeah, I, I thought it was Japan, but I, I guess didn't United so. States, I guess India, India, good guess, Dana, United States. It is the United States. Oh, okay. uh, this is yeah, this is great. Susan Doku, Susan Doku, No, they were uh, they were an American invention. They used to be published by Dell magazines in their word books and mm. their word games. Like and what year? In the seventies, uh-huh. um, and this was it is absolutely the same Sudoku puzzle that you see today. Uh, so they. Kind Kind of disappeared, and a Japanese publisher called Nikoli sort of reintroduced them to the world in 1984. <laughs> wow. I would like to share a valuable resource that I use as a child for gathering facts and information. We went to um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina on vacation when I was probably like 11 or 12. We'd always go during the spring. So we'd go to Maine and go fishing, which I hated, and then we'd go to Myrtle <laughs> Beach uh, where they had like arcades and they had like like Street Fighter machines and all kinds of things they didn't have in Connecticut, you know? And it was the, for me, it was like the super fun action-packed vacation. And one of the things they had in Myrtle Beach was the Ripley's Believe It or Not wow. Auditorium, mm. the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. I mean, for me, like dorky kid who loved crazy facts and all that kind of stuff, and I mean, it was it was fantastic. Oh, you know, I all love these. Them. There's like 30 of these all around the world. So Robert Ripley, let's talk about him. He was born in 1890, and initially he wanted to be a professional baseball player. Um, oh. He had some aptitude in sports and uh, wanted to play pro ball, and that never really worked out for him. He was also a very skilled cartoonist. He did a lot of things. Robert Ripley had a lot of talents, uh, and he was a cartoonist and did cartoons for newspapers. He started a series um, called. 
champs and chumps. And what he did was he would take notable events that had occurred in the world of sports, cartoon the event, and then he would write about what the little bit of trivia was. Mm. Like, you know, so-and-so hit three home runs in such-and-such a game, trying to trend towards the, the crazy, unbelievable sorts of things. Within a year, champs and chumps became, believe it or not, because he started introducing non-sports mm, factoids right, and trivia. Right. A and, more broad appeal. And so, you know, some of it was like, as we kind of associate with Ripley, like things from around the world, like, oh, the such-and-such tribe of such-and-such country put rings in their mouth, that, that kind of thing. And then some of it was like just crazy things that people would send him from right here in the good old US of A. Like Mrs. Uh, Leroy Johnson found a potato chip that looks like Jesus right, you know, or whatever. Right. Robert Ripley, was so first of all, he took his first trip around the world in the early part of the 1920s. 20s. And this is where he just started collecting data and came back and just started like a lot of the things that he had seen. He became very shortly after that an absolute just a a, a transmedia sensation. He was really, really popular. He had a radio show. He did a TV show in the 1940s before people had television, you know, before a lot of people had televisions. So the 1933 Chicago World's Fair, that was where he opened up his first temporary auditorium. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where he showed off his collection because he was just, he collected... You know, some people would say stole, or you know, right, but he, right, he collected all kinds of artifacts from all over the world. As you might imagine, this d- might not leave him a whole lot of time to do research. And as soon as he returned back from that, that world trip, he put out word that he was looking for a researcher, for a polyglot, basically, for somebody who spoke many, many languages. Oh, um, that makes me happy that he wants someone to verify all of this stuff, yes, too. Yes, he wanted somebody to find things and also to verify. He really had a passion for getting the facts mm-hmm. right and making sure everything was accurate. Norbert Perlroth, with the <laughs> wonderful, wonderful name of Norbert Perlroth, was born in Austria, and he moved to the United States just as the Ripley's brand Mm. was skyrocketing. According to one source I found, he was fluent in 14 languages. Ripley hires Norbert Perlroth, and so for the next 52 years, Norbert, living in New York City, every weekday, would get up, go to his office, take care of things, and then head over to the New York Public Library. And, and scour would read, read, read. He would scour the all the foreign language newspapers that had come in, uh, but then also just read books and read books and read books. And he became a fixture there. If you go to the you know fun facts page for the New York Public Library, they talk about him as having come there every weekday feeding for, for, feeding Ripley's machine. Yeah, and so <laughs> that is my dream job. Yeah, and so most of the facts that you read in Ripley's, believe it or not, for fifty years were things that were uncovered by Norbert. And when mm. when Ripley would go on his world travels. That's how he knew what to go look for. You know, it was things that Norbert would find. Other notable Ripley's moments include... In 1929, the Ripley's Believe It or Not, one of the cartoons pointed out the U.S. had no national anthem and pointed out that the Star Spangled Banner was based on an old English drinking song, the the melody was, right? This came as a big surprise to everybody. And people wrote (laughs) in and were like, yeah, Uh, you know, people wrote in like, what do you mean we don't have a national anthem? He's like, write your senator. We don't have a national anthem. Within two years after the publication of this cartoon, the Senate, the the Congress basically enacted that the Star Spangled (laughs) Banner was in fact, would would in fact officially be our national anthem. Official stamp. 
Ripley's Believe It or Not now calls this Ripley's Most Doubted Believe It or Not. And uh, he ran a cartoon with a picture of the Spirit of St. Louis and said, Believe it or not, Charles Lindbergh was not the first man to fly across the Atlantic. He was the 67th man to fly across the Atlantic. Hmm. The gag, which was not really explained in the strip, uh-huh. is that people believed that, that you know, Lindy was the first guy to go across the Atlantic Ocean. He was not. He was the first pilot to fly solo across oh. the Atlantic Ocean. Other people had done it in groups. A couple of dirigibles had done it Got with it. with a lot of people on it, and then a pair of pilots had done it together. But, of course, the cartoon did not point that out. They just, it, they played on the common misconception he was the first one, and so it was like he was the 67th man to fly across the Atlantic. So Robert Ripley was also the first troll. I was just going to say, he invented trolling. <laughs> Too funny. My first exposure to the world of Ripley and Ripley's Believe It or Not was as the TV show. There was a very cult hit, very popular TV show famously hosted by Jack Palance and it was just a very dramatic presentation and like really the signature line of every segment was in the Jack Palance voice mm-hmm. believe it or not <laughs> the heart attack that killed Robert Ripley he had he suffered it on live TV doing a Ripley's Believe It or Not show he was explaining the history of the bugle song Taps which is played at oh, funerals uh, had a heart attack on live TV they had to finish the show without him and then and then he died Believe, believe it, it or, or not. not. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I fell in love with the lower, the lesser human <laughs> information, probably through a device that other people would also look down on through TV shows, <laughs> TV game shows. Yay! I think it's delicious. I- I'm not ashamed to admit no. that so much of my early trivia came from TV. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. You can see what people think. So I have a quiz for you guys. I call it the quiz show, quiz show, quiz. So I'm going to describe a show for you guys, and you tell me the name of the quiz show and the host, mm. and then I'll give you a question that came from that show. Oh, All right. okay. So these are famous TV game shows. Yes, All right. famous TV game shows. All right. All right, first one. This 1986 game show on Nickelodeon featured trivia questions and occasionally messy physical challenges. <laughs> Colin. Double Dare. And who is the host? Mark Summers. Summers. Yes. Oh, from the Food Channel. Yes. 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 Mark Summers. This question was really hard. Nobody got it. The kids didn't get it. I didn't get it. Wow. But let's see if you guys get it. What part of your body would you wear a ghillie? On your head, feet, or around your waist? Ghillie. Yeah. Spelled G-H-I-L-L-I-E. Huh. This is free association. A little glimpse of the Karen's brain. Gilly from Harry Potter is the weed that you eat and you grow gills and you can uh, swim underwater. So I think it's maybe something related to aquatic. Like, so I think. Awfully dubious of that explanation. So it's like flippers or something? It is feet. They're dance shoes. But yes, and they're from Scotland, which is close to where Harry Potter takes place. So maybe, maybe there's a relation. got it right for the wrong reason. (laughs) Yeah. Bending over backward for that one. Yeah. Ironically, oh. host Mark Summers has obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes, he um, does. which was revealed much later after that show was off the air. And so, good on him for actually like being able to deal with all of the <laughs> slime and mess and uh, people diving into pools of baked oh. beans. And yeah. Fittingly, the first contestant on this show to win the one million dollar prize was a school superintendent from Georgia. What was the show? Is it, are you smarter than a, what, fourth grader, first grader? What is the show? Are you smarter than a fifth, fifth grader? grader? 
Good I job. Know. You can tell I watched that show. <laughs> so she used to be a teacher. She actually taught the subjects. I <laughs> recommend watching it on YouTube if you get a chance. It was, it almost brought me to tears. She was like, <laughs> you know, he's like, do you want to drop out on the last question? You know, a lot of people have flunked and, and they lose a lot of money. And she's like, no, I'm not going to drop out. I'm not going to tell people to drop out because we encourage our kids to stay in school. And she like gave this whole speech. I was like, oh. And then she won. And then she got it. Wow. Uh, and the host was Jeff Foxworthy, yeah. right? Yep. And the question was, who was the longest reigning British monarch? Was it the Queen Victoria or Queen Elizabeth II? What's that, your answer? Bad, yes. Queen Elizabeth II. Victoria. It was Victoria. Oh, oh okay. Victoria uh, was queen for sixty-three years. Yeah, I knew she lived to a ripe old age. Yeah. Elizabeth II is on her sixty-first year. Wow. So geez. she might catch up. Oh. Yeah. Wow. This TV game show was ranked as the second greatest game show on by both TV Guide and the Game Show Network. It's currently in its twenty-ninth season. Colin? This is uh, I'm gonna guess Wheel of Fortune. No. Mm. Jeopardy. It's Jeopardy. Yeah. What is yeah. Jeopardy? Yeah. What nice. is Jeopardy? Who's the host? Alex Trebek. So mm-hmm. Ken Jennings is known as the contestant with the most number of wins on Jeopardy. He and made the it funniest. To- yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> He made it to 74 wins. Mm. When he lost on the 75th, this is the question he bombed. Oh. And so I'll ask you and see oh. if you guys know the answer. <clears throat> Most of this firm's 70,000 seasonal white-collar employees work only four months a year. Well, how do you guys... I think I know this. I do know Chris, this. Yeah. It's H&R Block. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Ken Jennings yeah. guessed FedEx. Yeah. And, and lost on that. Oh, H&R Block because of tax They, they employ season. contractor yeah. accountants. Yeah. Oh, That's a good answer. That is a good one. Yeah. And a tough one to go out on, too. Yeah. Oh, well. So this game show started as a radio show and then transitioned to TV. It featured a segment where if a contestant said the secret word, a toy duck would descend from the ceiling, bringing them a $100 bill. Call Chris. Chris. Uh, It's You Bet Your Life. Yes. Yes. Hosted by Groucho Marx. So I watched a whole episode of it. It was hilarious. I had no idea it was so funny. So I'll give you guys the $1,000 question from the episode I watched. It's not very hard. I'm like, man, people in the 50s. Anyway, they got it wrong, too. Uh, For $1,000, what was the name of the legendary city where King Arthur held his court? Wow. Yeah, that's kind of I'm surprised. Yeah, that. Karen. Wait, is it, are you guys being sarcastic? Is it? Is it Camelot? Yeah. I would feel like people in the 50s would know that better even. You think? I wonder what oh, well. people guess. Is, oh, well. Let us not cast dispersions on all people yes. from the 1950s because yeah. like all person from the 1950s <laughs> yes. it was didn't two, get it right. a couple. Okay, but e- well. even so. <laughs> they did such an awesome job with the rest of the show. I yeah. was like, they're going to know this. And then yep. they totally didn't. And I was like, maybe we've just been exposed to more TV and movies about maybe Camelot. Maybe they just choked. It can be very, uh, it's choked. very easy to sit on your couch and watch a game show and just be like, oh yeah, that's easy. I know yeah. all those questions. These people are dumb, but you know. No, when, when you're, you're on stage, harsh you know, TV yeah. lights in your face, fine. and yeah. All right, fine. I won't be such a jerk anymore. Gosh. <laughs> Good job, you guys. I had a lot of fun <laughs> watching game shows. Old game shows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a QI in Stephen Fry on your quiz. I thought about it, and then I was Famous like, "Famous oh. British quiz show." I was like, I "Only, only one. Karen's gonna know the answer." To oh, it. it's fantastic! I've never, never heard really of it. QI, uh, hosted by oh. the esteemed Stephen Fry. I know Stephen Fry. I never Just heard very of that show. perfect huh. kind of mix of facts and fun. All right, let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsor. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. And we're back. And this week, we're talking about trivia about trivia. Well, I want to tell you guys one of my favorite stories that is about trivia and about the uh, business of trivia. Oh. Uh, so let me start off with a question. Do you guys know what a copyright trap is? Have you ever heard this term before? Do you know what a trap street is? This might give you a little bit more of a clue. Trap street, even less of a clue. Sorry. So there is an old, old, old trick or technique used by map makers trap streets got it the street does not exist and they and they put it on their map so that if somebody copies their map they know that they copied their map rather than actually made the map themselves 100 percent correct oh wow okay. that's so clever and a copyright trap is some correct. sort of intentionally so, wrongly spelled word or something that you would not have come up with on your own old 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 trick that map makers and even cartographers yep. fake islands or fake rivers or things like this that yeah. is not helpful if you're <laughs> well so it's funny it's funny um the reason that you do it is, yeah, one, to prevent copying, and the other reasoning behind it is that you can't copyright facts out in the world. Like, I can't copyright the location of streets. Yes. So if I want to copyright my map book, I've got to put something in it that makes it mine. Mm -hmm. It helps your customers get lost. It, lost. Is, it's it is deceptive, and, you know, you can do your own little reading on this, and there are a lot of people who are really against this practice, and some of the yeah. major map makers have eventually announced that they've stopped doing it. Rand McNally, for instance, they said, I mean, they, they admitted that they did this, you they know. Did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's not really a secret secret, you know, per mm. se, it's, they don't talk about it, but some of the big map makers have agreed to stop doing this. So anyway, good. <laughs> this is an example of something that you put in among otherwise real world data. So to make it your own collection. Mm -hmm. And so that is an example of a copyright trap. I want to talk about an example of a copyright trap in the world of trivia. Ooh. So let's go back to the 1970s. And this is pre-internet, pre-trivial pursuit world. I want to talk about a man named Fred Worth. And Fred Worth was a trivia lover, trivia collector, and he put out a lot of books 
that were essentially compendia and encyclopedias of trivia. He wrote Super Trivia and The Trivia Encyclopedia and many books with these kind of names. They were essentially just lists of facts organized alphabetically and you, you know, kind of leave it in the bathroom or peruse it if you were a trivia nut, whatever. And he was moderately successful publishing these books. So now let's flash forward to 1984 after, of course, the massively successful game Trivial Pursuit has come out. And we've talked about this on an earlier show about board games, about the genesis of Trivial Pursuit. Uh, You know, one of the things that we talked about on that episode was the hard part of the game was really sourcing all the facts for the game. (laughs) So Fred Wirth got wind of the success that Trivial Pursuit was having, and he got himself a copy. And looking through the game, he decided that they had in his mind, stolen a lot of his oh, material. Lifted a lot By of his estimate, he claimed that they stole up to a third of their material came from his encyclopedias and fact books. And so he filed a lawsuit. He filed a lawsuit against the makers of Trilo Pursuit. Now, how was he so sure that they had stolen his material? Well, the answer was he had inserted a copyright trap of a fake fact in one of his books <laughs> for just this purpose, thinking that if anyone ever copied his material, he'd be able to trap them by, aha, you printed this, that I made up this fact. Well, sure enough, one of the facts in Trivial Pursuit, uh, he claimed, was copied. Now, he and his lawyer were being very cagey. They didn't want to say what the fact was. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to out his one faked fact and then basically admitting to everybody else, everything else in the book is true, you can copy it. Got it. Eventually, they were pressured to divulge what they claimed was the fact. So here was the question from Trivial Pursuit. What's Columbo's first name? And of course, they're referring to the famous TV cop played Peter by Falk, played yeah. by Peter Falk, famously in the TV show Columbo. What's Columbo's first name? The answer that they gave is Philip, and this is the fact that Fred Worth had made up. So Philip yeah. is not actually Columbo's first name on the show. He invented it out of thin air just to trap people. His first name is Detective. <laughs> <laughs> it was a running gag on the show. He would always say his first name is Lieutenant. Uh, so anyway, uh, the case, it, it was dismissed before it went to trial. And the judge essentially said, you know, it was clear that the creators were working in good faith. And they were able to show that they got their facts from a wide range of sources. The judge said, I think fairly, that, you know, part of research is taking facts from published And not only that, but what they were doing was presenting a game. They weren't just merely presenting a list of awesome facts, you know, which he might have been a little bit more predisposed to let it go to trial. They did take the question out of the game. So (laughs) (laughs) if you buy a Trivial Pursuit set, it no longer asks what Columbo's first name was. That's a collector's edition. Uh, Yeah, I wonder if that card is now worth a lot of money. uh, To eBay, I'm sure you could find some. So now here's the Columbo card. (laughs) So here's what's really interesting to me about how, so this fact sort of two things about it. One, it's demonstrably wrong. They have now found screen grabs of the episode, and you can see there are some scenes where Columbo holds up his badge and his ID card, and you can see it very clearly says Frank. Columbo. Uh, Even though they never mention it in the show, they never discuss it. As much as that's canon, his name is not Philip. But of course, the Philip has made its way into other trivia collections. Oh, so yeah, it has gotten repeated now as a fact. And of huh. course, you know, being in Trivial Pursuit gave it some legitimacy. Uh. And then just the one last little bit that I'll wrap up with about copyright traps is that the U.S. courts have generally held that those are not copyrightable. Even if you do put something in your thing that you have made up, because it essentially hinders legitimate research and hinders legitimate use of facts. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, the best case is that you can kind of shame someone into right, showing, right, look, yeah. I know you copied from me by using this. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Another game show that gained popularity in the late 90s, early 2000s was, of course, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> Prime time 
game show that was a by, phenomenon uh, it was Absolute oh absolutely phenomenon. it was a with british the, import too yeah, yeah so the allure was that you could become a millionaire on one show yeah, a as million it, as it says dollars right in the title. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes it does yes and so it took a while before somebody became a millionaire but eventually many people would complete the show answering the the final very difficult question to win the million dollars and so what i have brought for you guys today is titled you wants to be a millionaire <laughs> And so I would just like to have you guys actually work together on these, and let's see how many million dollars you can make. These, oh, are, these all are all nice. million final. Dollar questions. These are all oh, million dollar okay. questions. Yeah, from the U.S. version of the show. If you need a lifeline, I don't know how I can do phone a friend. <laughs> I can eliminate two wrong answers if you want, <laughs> sure. uh, and you can also pull the audience. This was the first ever uh, question that somebody won a million dollars on. It's kind of easy. Which of these U.S. presidents appeared on the television series Laugh In? A, Lyndon Johnson, B, Jimmy Carter, C, Richard Nixon, or D, Gerald Ford? It was Nixon. This was Nixon. This was Nixon. Final answer? Final answer. No idea. Lock it in. Lock it in? It is Richard Nixon. (laughs) Yeah. You have $1 million. Shocker to me. Which of the following landlocked countries is entirely contained within another country? Uh, A, Lesotho. That. B, Mongolia, <laughs> C, Burkina Faso, or D, Luxembourg. Final answer, Lesotho. Wow. Locked without in even, South Africa. Without even, yeah. without even consulting your teammates. Yep. I agree. It is Lesotho. Yeah. yeah. Two million dollars. Oh, you're gonna so rich. <laughs> Who is credited with inventing the first mass-produced helicopter? A, Igor Sikorsky. B, Ferdinand von Zeppelin. C. Elmer Sperry or D. Gottlieb Daimler. I mean, I know that Sikorsky yeah. is a helicopter manufacturer. So I think it's that. I yeah. think that's the. I know that right. Sikorsky makes helicopters. Do we get to keep playing if we're wrong? I think yeah, that's you can. Right. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can, but you have the th- only the three lifelines. Daimler, Daimler's like Daimler Chrysler. That's automotive. Yeah. So I don't think it's Daimler. Sperry. I think might be boat related. I looked up top before. Yeah, I, mean, I don't Zeppelin, think it was Zeppelin. Zeppelin. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's Sikorsky. That's, right. my, that's my Lock it in. Lock it in. That's it. Sikorsky. It is indeed Igor Sikorsky. Yeah! First mass-produced helicopter. Who did artist Grant Wood use as the model for the farmer in his classic painting, American Gothic? Oh, his dentist. Dentist. A, a traveling salesman. B, his dentist. C, a local sheriff. Or D, his butcher. Dentist. Dentist. Lock it in. It was his dentist. It is his dentist. I think studying for good job brain, actually. (laughs) Yeah. You've got $4 million. Moving on. You still have all your lifelines. Yeah. In the children's book series, where is Paddington Bear originally from? A, I think India. I, I think it was from Timbuktu. No. Well, well, that's you should let me read your four answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting way ahead of Chris here. A, India. B, Canada. C, Peru. D, Iceland. Where, I'm going to say Peru. Whoa, wait, hold on. But if he's at the station, how can you come from a faraway country? Because trains connect to other countries. But not to Peru, not England to Peru. It could be a multi-stage journey. India. I say Peru. I think, think it would be the most foreign and exotic, too. I think it'd be India. So if we eliminate two answers, do you think it's just going to be India and Peru? Uh, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. We haven't used our power-ups. We're simulating the show. Let's eliminate two incorrect answers. You're going to eliminate two correct answers? The computer yes. randomly. <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, I will now randomly eliminate. How do I feel about you people? 
I have eliminated two incorrect answers, and you are now left with B, Canada, and C, Peru. (laughs) Peru. Peru. Final answer? Yes. It's Peru. (laughs) Good job, computer. (laughs) computer. All right, you have $5 million. The U.S. icon Uncle Sam was based on Samuel Wilson, who worked during the War of 1812 as a what? A. Meat inspector. B. Historian. C. Mail deliverer. D. Weapons mechanic. Meat inspector. I believe it is meat inspector, yeah. Dan Rice. I'm talking about the clown Dan Rice. Right, right. From last week's episode. (laughs) He does does look like Uncle Sam, who was possibly the model for Uncle Sam. I looked it up for reals. I was like, was he actually the model? But they said the real one was a meat packer. I've heard, sure. dis- oh, yeah. wow. I've heard disputed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Final answer. You still have two lifelines left. Poll the audience and phone a friend. I read it last Let's week. Do it. Yeah. 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 We're all in. We're all in on Meat Inspector. It's Meat Inspector. Yeah. Six million. All right. Which of the following men does not have a chemical element named after him? Okay. Oh, all right. A. Albert Einstein. B. Isaac Newton. C. Niels Bohr. D. Enrico Fermi. I believe it's Bohr. Bohr. Yeah, I'm no. sure it's Bohr. Bohr. I think it's Newton. No, I think there's Newtonium. I think there's Newtonium. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely Einsteinium. There's Barium. Are you thinking of Barium? No, I think there's one near the Niels end Bohr of it. Niels Bohr is the one who came up with the actual atom model. Mm-hmm. They for sure named something after him. My my first is because if I were 100, percent I would say I was life, 100%, lifeline. So I'm lifeline not. It. That's the that's the thing with who wants to be a millionaire. It's like oh yeah, lifeline. But it's like who would you call who would know this stuff? Like it's not like they can look it up. You know, actually, what they do is they they encourage you to find a bunch of people in various disciplines, uh, yeah. even if they're not really your friends. And then right when your taping starts, they actually call all of them and keep them on hold. Oh, just and then as case. soon as you say who you're, oh, I'm gonna call so and so. They they're already on the phone with so and so, and they're just Wait, like, oh, we need James. you now. Yeah, we're calling. We're phoning a friend. All right, and he is our physicist friend, James. Hi, I'm on who wants to be a I'm on a staged recreation of a. James is unable. Oh. All right, I'll go. I'll go with it, but I don't think it is right. You can blame me. You can blame me if you're wrong. It's okay. I'll take that. I'll take that hit. That's your final answer is Niels Bohr? (laughs) Yeah. It's Isaac Newton. There is is Borium, Borium. there is Fermium, and there is Einsteinium. Mm. Uh, Let's talk about Newtonium a little bit. At one point back in the day, scientists were proposing uh, that the green color you see during a solar eclipse must be, because they couldn't identify that as being anything in nature, that must be a new element in the sun. (laughs) Uh, And they called that uh, either coronium. Uh, mm-hmm. or Newtonium. Ah. Unfortunately, it was then proved that it was just really, really, really hot iron. Ah. <laughs> so he had a fake short-lived element. Yeah. yeah. So you drop back down to zero dollars, unfortunately. Oh my you god! No, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, but you can still win one million if you answer this final question. Alright. Okay. What insect shorted out an early supercomputer and inspired the term uh-huh. computer bug? A. Moth B. Fly C. Roach. D. Japanese beetle. That's so specific. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure this is a moth. I feel yeah. like I've heard this story many times. Moth. Lock it in. Lock Final it. answer. Final answer. It is a moth. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh. 
Great job. You either got one million dollars or six million dollars, depending on how you want to how you want to score that. Yay! <laughs> hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. I feel like so much fun of trivia is definitely from answering questions, but I want to focus <laughs> on the art of asking questions. Mm. And throughout history, in many cultures and a lot of literary works, there is a common archetype of the riddler, the questioner, someone with some sort of power who poses tricky riddles and questions as a, like as a challenge or as a wager. So I'm going to talk about some of the famous Riddlers in history and in mythology and in stories. <laughs> Hope Sorry, one of them like... is the Riddler. <laughs> the Riddler. So, of course, when we think of the old, old, iconic Riddler creature, mm. uh, we probably would think of the Sphinx. The, the Sphinx. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Sphinx comes from a Greek mythology. Sphinx, related to sphincter actually means to squeeze, uh, to tighten up. I did huh. not know that. I thought it huh. might mean like gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> the sphinx creature, which is like part bird, part lion, mm -hmm. uh, the sphinx will kill their prey by strangling them, sort mm -hmm. of to squeeze them. Sphinx. Sphinx and sphincter. Sphincter. We got our contractually obligated butt comment in for this episode. <laughs> So the great famous Greek sphinx in mythology guards the entrance to Thebes. Of course, we know the age-old uh, sphinx riddle from Oedipus is, which creature walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening? And the answer is... Man. Turns out it's man. <laughs> Turns out it's man. P.S. That's man. But when we think of sphinx, I don't know, I, I personally picture the Egyptian sphinx, right? right. Uh -huh. Like of the animal guarding the pyramids. And technically, they're two different creatures. In Greek mythology, the Sphinx is a girl mm -hmm. and is actually evil, right? You know, posing these riddles and killing people. And in ancient Egyptian beliefs, the Sphinx is male and is actually a benevolent creature acting as a guardian. guardian. And in our robot episode, Colin, you noted that female robots are known as gynoid. Gynoid. Uh, the Egyptian Sphinx is technically an Andro-Sphinx. Ah. Ah. So Sphinx itself is feminine. Ah, Andro-Sphinx yes. wow. is boy Sphinx. Huh. And we also see the, the Riddler archetype even in opera. Turandote, the Puccini opera, famous song sung by Pavarotti and also Paul Potts, the Britain's oh, Got yeah. Talent winner. <laughs> Nessendorma comes from the opera Turandote, which is a story about a prince courting a princess. And the princess has three riddles, and it, suitors have to answer all the riddles. And if they answer wrong, then they get executed. Oh, and if really? they answer right, then, you know, then they win her love. And her riddles, I mean, keep in mind this is opera, and it's a little bit more poetic. 
I don't think they're very good riddles, but it, I'm sure it, very beautiful. But they have to rhyme. In context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In Italian. So <laughs> one of the riddles is, what flickers red and warm like a flame, but is not fire? <laughs> My heart. Uh, blood. Yeah, it is blood. What? what? I was thinking like of like a lobster. <laughs> or like I was thinking right. of like right. a red <laughs> animal. That... And Lewis Carroll, of course, uh, ah, yes. has yes. the Mad Hatter. One of the most famous riddles mm-hmm. in Alice in Wonderland. Why is the raven like a writing desk? Right, right. There, well, the answer is there's, there's no answer, right? I mean, it's both. But, originally, but originally, there's no answer. People have tried to back solve it, right? Well, he eventually wrote a solution. Yeah. Oh, he, he did. He got so he got so tired of people writing into him mm-hmm. and missing his point that it was a riddle that had no answer, right? And just part of the absurdity of the world that he did eventually write one that was very tongue in cheek. He wrote a, a prologue to one of the later editions, and he provided an answer. Mm-hmm. And it, his answer was, "Well, why is the Raven like a writing desk? Because it." can produce a few notes though they are very flat yes 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 (laughs) and it is never put with the wrong end in front and so people are like okay well that makes sense for a desk you want the right end to be in the right end yeah what about the raven never it was spelled nevar n-e-v-a-r which is backwards of raven yeah and of course i cannot talk about the riddler without talking about the riddler from Batman, Mr. <laughs> Edward Nigma. Riddler of Riddlers. Nygma. So bad. Yes. Enigma. <laughs> so bad. I like it. Oh, I didn't. Even as a kid, Batman. I was yeah, like, really? Like, really? What? The man has been setting all the fires. I believe his name. I looked it up in the phone book, and it's our son. Yeah. Robert Son. Exactly. <laughs> He's in a comic book. Right. right. <laughs> Edward Nigma, or the Riddler in Batman, he had different incarnations. Uh, we're probably most familiar with the Riddler from the old Batman show, or Jim Carrey, which were uh, both very cheesy and very campy. So I have a couple of riddles right. from the old school 1960s <laughs> Batman series oh, asked by the Riddler himself. By Eddie. Uh, here we go. What weighs six ounces, sits in a tree, and is very dangerous? A hawk. Uh, six <laughs> Close. ounces, sits in a... I, don't, I give up. A sparrow with a machine gun. Ah, that's uh-huh. fine. What has yellow skin and writes? This is one of the classic ones that just... A banana pen. A ballpoint banana. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's, of course, a list of all the old 1960s Riddler Riddlers. There is one that has been unanswered. Unanswered in the script, unanswered in the show. I did some research, didn't see a lot of good... uh, Suggestive answers. Suggestive answers. Here it is. When is a jet stream like a daffodil? I don't have an answer. I know, like, my right. temptation is, right. I give up, Karen. I know. Yeah. 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 I think we should offer some uh, swag to the best suggestion oh, yeah. that someone sends in. There we go. What is yeah. it? When is a jet stream like a daffodil? So, listeners, if you have a mm. good answer suggestion, you can email us at gjb.podcast at gmail.com, and we'll care pick of, a good one. Care of E. Care of E. Enigma. All right, there you go. Lots of trivia about trivia, and we have our last quiz segment. Colin? It's called Initial Here, and this will be a little bit of an experiment. So this is about famous people where initials are part of their name, and you may not know their initials. So, for example, Karen, uh, a couple weeks ago, you talked about J.R.R. Tolkien, which stands for... 
John Ronald Rule. So for this quiz, if I were to say something like, my name is John Ronald Royal, and I wrote about a fantasy world. I see. You would say... J-R-R. Tolkien. Tolkien. My name is James Cash, and I love a good shopping deal. Karen. Uh, J.C. Penny. Correct. Yeah. James Cash oh, Penny. Found wow. stores. That's right. All right. I think you guys get it here. You get it. My name is Phineas Taylor, and I love to put on a spectacle. Uh, I believe that was Chris. It's P.T. Barnum. P.T. Yeah. Barnum. Oh, oh, Phine- oh Phineas. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> My name is Jerome David, and I created an iconic literary oh, teenage sorry. character. Sorry. Karen. J.D. Salinger. Correct. J.D. Salinger. My name is Jeffrey Jacob, and I am a huge fan of Lens Flare. <laughs> Karen again. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. What's his name again? Jeffrey Jacob Abrams. Jeffrey Jacob Abrams. My name is Leon Leonwood, and I built an industry around my famous waterproof boots. Oh, Dana. L.L. Bean? L.L. Bean, yes. My name is Susan Eloise, and though I haven't written many books, my first two were both made into movies directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Huh. Dana is again. Is it S.E. Hinton? It is S.E. Hinton. What were the movies? Uh, the Outsiders and Rumblefish. Launched many, many young actors' careers. Career. Yeah. My name is Orenthal James, <laughs> and I made my fame in three separate areas. <laughs> Uh, Chris. Uh, that, that's O.J. Simpson. That is O.J. Yeah. Simpson. The areas, of course, being football, football acting, acting, and legal complications. <laughs> My name is Joanne, and I actually don't have a real middle name. I chose a fake one at the suggestion of my publisher. Oh! Uh, Dana. J.K. Rowling. It is. Yep. Joanne. She Joe. chose the middle name... I know this. She chose the middle name Kathleen uh, in honor of her grandmother. To snazz to, it to, up? To affect the J.R. So it's funny, actually, vibe. so... Yeah. For both for both J.K. Rowling and S.E. Hinton, their publishers encouraged them as female authors to take initials so that it could be ambiguous whether they were male or not, mm-hmm. which is... A little unfortunate, mm. but all right. We're going to close out with a couple tricky ones here where I'm just going to give you one name. So these are people with one first initial. My first name is Lyman, and I created one of the world's most beloved fantasy worlds. Dana. L. Frank Baum? Yes. Oh, yes. L. Lyman Frank Baum, creator of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and all the Lyman? other. Lyman? Lyman. L-Y-M-A-N. All right, last one. My first name is Lafayette, and though I got my start as a writer, my lasting legacy is from my other, perhaps more spiritual, endeavors. Oh! Chris. L. Ron Ron Hubbard. Hubbard. Yes, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. Lafayette. Yeah, that's a great name. That is quite fancy. Sounds like a fancy cookie. (laughs) And again, it's funny. A lot of these people uh, change their names for their writing careers. All right. Well, good job, guys. You blew that one out of our... Oh, here. We'll close this out, actually, with one of my favorite little uh, initial-based bits of trivia. Do you guys know what the S in Harry S. Truman stands for? Nothing. Chris. Nothing. Nothing. It stands for S. It does not actually stand for anything. Oh, it is Harry S. Truman. Like an aesthetic. Yep. And sometimes you will see it with a period after the S. Sometimes you'll see it without a period after the S. But it was a family. It was a family practice. They named him S. Oh, not that they forgot to. No, no, they didn't fill it out. Yeah, it wasn't. They forgot to fill out the birth form or anything. Mm. All right, good job, guys. Woo! And that's our show. 
Thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening in. Hope you learn a lot of trivia about trivia. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, which is goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsor at bonobos.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.